Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. And we will find proof, right? You can take two sides of the equation. You could say, okay, this person says this is right. And another person says, no, this is wrong. And both of these people will, will completely have enough sufficient evidence to reinforce that this is right or this is wrong. They will have completely enough evidence to do that, right? Because you're always going to find support for your belief systems, right? And so that's yes. why it's very important to manage those things and to, you know, decide what do you want to believe and then work on creating a practice to install that. Uh, I love that so much. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 279. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Hey, veggie lovers, welcome to another episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. I just really love having this podcast. I love being a podcast host and I love meeting new people. I love learning from all these different experts. And today's expert is no different. I feel like everything he said today is something I needed to hear. I think that you're going to love this episode too. And I guarantee that you will get something out of it that's useful that you can apply to your life right now. Oglesby is an author and a transformative coach who has been helping people eradicate their fears and live more effective lives since 2011, when he founded Maximize Mind LLC in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Diverse, unique background and experience with struggles and debilitating fears, both personally and professionally, have led him to create a robust system and philosophy that addresses the root causes of these disturbances. One of his main philosophies is that empowerment is the key to overcoming our struggles, as well as most things in life. Empowerment comes through knowledge, and knowledge of the self becomes self-empowerment. Therefore, he devotes much of his time as a coach, mentor, advisor, friend, and partner to teaching and helping people understand themselves in a more profound way that allows them to step into their power and make the changes they desire in their lives. Today, we talked about what fear is, how it can become a problem, also what a fear-based philosophy is, and what are the typical physical or emotional symptoms that deep-seated fears can cause. 
also talk about how we can get to the root cause of the fears that are holding us back. We talk about neuro-linguistic programming or NLP. We talk about hypnotherapy, how it's different from hypnosis, or maybe some of the things you've seen in the past on stage and performance and fun things that are happening. How, how it's different and how he can use hypnotherapy to help people access the subconscious and change some of their habits and behaviors. We talk about empowerment and self-empowerment. And then we talk about different methods, skills, and tools you can use to help yourself overcome these fears. He ends with his top three tips for people that are ready to overcome their fears and create a life they love. Like I said, so much useful information, so much practical information. It was great. I just really love talking to Mike. Thank you so much for being here week after week. I appreciate you and love you so much. Welcome, new listener. I'm so happy to have you. I hope you really enjoy this episode and take a look around at all the different episodes I have and a diversity of topics from plant-based nutrition to things like this that helps you improve your well-being in life. So how can we use different skills and tools from our nutrition to stress management, to sleep, to meaningful connections, to learning more about ourselves? feel better and to have the well-being that we desire. So thank you so much for being here. And now let's welcome Mike Oglesby. Mike Oglesby, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to talk with you, to share with you, to learn, to grow. So thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited because this is definitely a topic we haven't quite covered. We had one episode with uh, one woman who... She herself worked on conquering her fears, but that's the work you do in life is helping other people overcome their fears. So let's start with just the basic definition. I know that it may seem a little elementary for some people, but I think it's good to get it out of the way. What is fear and how can it become a problem? You know, that's a great question because I think we often use words that we really don't know what they mean. You know, I, I find it in, you know, working with my clients, you know, oftentimes I'll hear them repeating certain words and they could be simple words like hate or something like that. And they really don't understand what it means. And so oftentimes we'll just go and look the word up and see what the actual definition is. Uh, so I think it is a great starting point. Uh, so if you look the word fear up, you're going to find something like uh, it's an unpleasant emotion uh, caused by this belief that something or someone is dangerous or will cause you harm or cause you pain or that there's a, a threat. So that's, I think, the basic definition of fear. I like to think of fear as kind of a force in this world. And I, and I think of, you know, when I think of this world, I think of two primary forces. Now, we've got many different names for these two forces. You could call it fear and trust. You could call it good and bad, right, wrong, God and Satan, yin and yang. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to describe this force. Uh, but I think that this is one of those forces that kind of guide and govern us in life. And one of the principles that I kind of live by and that I teach my students and, and clients is that everything in life is a gift. And fear is no exception to that rule. I mean, have you ever stepped into a fear and come out on the other side after conquering that fear better? 
almost always, right? And so I look at fear as a gift, but it is a, a force that kind of drives us in life. And I think it's really important to learn how to manage, you know, that driving force and, and kind of direct that energy in specific ways. Uh, so I don't look at fear as something bad. I don't look at it as something unpleasant. Sure, the emotional state that you can, you know, experience through that fear can be unpleasant but I think it has a purpose at the same time. You know, fear really becomes a problem when we don't learn how to manage it, when we don't learn how to step into it and understand it, to dissect it so that we can grow, become more, become better. Uh, so that to me is what fear really is. It's a, it's a gift for us. Uh, and I think the biggest issue is we haven't learned how to use it, how to extract that gift, if you will. It sounds so simple, but managing our thoughts and feelings, it's a lifelong journey. It's yeah. not something that we're taught about when we're young. It's it's one of those things that we kind of stumble upon ourselves sometimes if we're looking at personal development, if we're looking for tools and skills to try to improve our lives and feel better and reach our goals. But it's not something that's simple. So Let's talk about, before we talk into like about some techniques and things like that, another thing I'd like for you to explain is what is a fear-based philosophy? Oh, this is good. You know, since, you know, childhood, you know, we are taught a fear-based philosophy. We are taught to be afraid. I mean, think about it. A two-year-old, a three-year-old goes and they start playing with a certain toy or they start climbing on the jungle gym. Oh, don't do that. Watch out. You know, you might get hurt, right? Or don't say that or don't do that. So we're, we're taught these things. We're bred to be afraid. I mean, look around you. Look at all the things going on in the political arena and in the economic arena. I mean, all these things that are going on, they're driven by fear. Look at the stock market. It is a fear-driven, you know, process. So we are taught to be afraid. And so when I talk about a fear-based philosophy, I'm talking about, you know, that part that, you know, really it's driven by the idea, I think, that we are somehow inadequate or deficient in our ability to take on the natural, normal things in life. You know, I get a, a good kick out of when we say things like, you know, I was planning to do this and then, you know, life threw this monkey wrench in my plans. And we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. Well, what do you mean you can't believe that happened? Have you ever experienced life where that didn't happen? You know, these things, it's just natural part of life. But when we have this fear-based philosophy, it's it's this idea that we are somehow incapable or inadequate to even handle sometimes even the simplest things in life. So that's what I talk about when I when I describe a fear-based philosophy. I'm talking about really that belief system that drives us to, you know, fill our life with these overcompensations and things to get away from and avoid fear because, you know, that's what most people do. They try to run from it. It's scary. It's hurtful. It's painful. Let me get away from it. Uh, so that fear-based philosophy is really something that I think drives a lot of people. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, and something that really crossed my mind, and it really stuck with me, is fear will turn you into a different person completely. I mean, think about that. I mean, most people, they're living their lives, they're running from the things that they find pain for, the things that they don't like, and they'll be running for the rest of their lives. Most people do. So to me, that's what a fear-based philosophy is. 
Mm-hmm. So I have a friend who we were having a conversation the other day, and she said that when she was younger, she had a series of events happen to her where people kept saying to her, you just have really bad luck. You just have really bad luck. And so she started to believe that she just naturally had bad luck. Would that be a fear-based philosophy? Absolutely. I mean, here's the, the thing about fear is a lot of it is made up of lies, lies that we tell ourselves, right? Like she was told you've got bad luck over and over and over, which establishes a belief system. Now, your belief systems are basically they become part of your identity. Right. So she she decided by taking on those beliefs, I am a person with bad luck and making that statement. I mean, let's let's not mistake the I am the definition that you have of yourself, your identity. It's going to drive everything in life for you. It's going to drive you to go into the situations that you go into, make the choices that you make. It is going to drive everything. So when she accepted that idea that she is someone who just has bad luck, Well, now she's going to go out and she's going to reinforce that because belief systems, they play themselves out in life. And you can look at anyone in life and you'll see that every single person lives in their own separate curated reality because it's made up of their beliefs. Now, we can all exist on this same place, but we all live different lives because we all believe different things about ourselves and life. So when she took on that, she took on that fear-based philosophy of, oh, I've got bad luck, you know, and, and that became part of her identity. And most likely she went on to have a lot of bad luck in her life. Yeah. She finally turned it around. Thank goodness. When she realized, Hey, I don't have to believe this, but for a long time it was reinforced by other people, by herself. And so it became part of her identity. And, you know, I think there's so many that are common. I think one that's common, especially for moms and parents is that you you have to pretty much exhaust yourself. Like you're not good enough unless you're working really, really hard at something. And so you get to the point where you're just like exhausting yourself, doing all of these things, trying to maximize every single aspect of your life because your belief is I'm not a good person works really hard. Do you think that that would be a typical one that you encounter? Absolutely. And see, that's what I talk about in, you know, I have a a book that's going to be coming out soon. And I talk about that. That's that's living a life of overcomplica- uh, overcompensation. And that's what I mean by, you know, we tend to allow fear to turn us into different people, right? And so our life becomes this idea that that expresses itself in like, okay, I'm not good enough, so I have to do more. And, you know, if we could just step back and look at life, we would see that that, that first and foremost doesn't work, because if it worked, then why would you have to keep doing it in order to feel that way, right? I mean, you're, you're throwing investment into an empty space, right? So what we want to do is we want to start breaking these things down. We want to challenge every single thing. For example, when someone says, I don't feel like I'm good enough, right? You say, okay, well, let me ask you, take the, take the emotions and set them to the side and answer the question, what are you actually not good enough for? Now, Typically, no one can really answer that question. They can say how they feel, but what you're actually not good enough for? Well, the reason we don't have an answer to that question is because the question itself is completely irrelevant. What does it even mean to be good enough? Like, where is that scale? Have you ever seen a scale that measures human value? 
or, or, or heard of a scale that measures human value, especially accurately, it doesn't exist. So these are lies, right? And and these are those inadequacies that I'm, I'm talking about. We we judge and we compare ourselves to things outside. And isn't it funny how we always tend to compare ourselves to things we don't measure up against? I mean, we don't look at those people that have it worse and measure against them. No, we measure against the people that have more or have done more or that we perceive have more value. So we're always looking and seeking to reinforce those belief systems that we're not good enough or we're not this or that. And we will find proof, right? You can take two sides of the equation. You could say, okay, this person says this is right. And another person says, no, this is wrong. And both of these people will, will completely have enough sufficient evidence to reinforce that this is right or this is wrong. They will have completely enough evidence to do that, right? Because you're always going to find support for your belief systems, right? And so that's yes. why it's very important to manage those things and to, you know, decide what do you want to believe and then work on creating a practice to install that. Uh, I love that so much. I have my, I have two sons and my older son is graduating senior in a few weeks from high school. Wonderful. And uh, he was born with the overachiever perfectionist gene <laughs> from me. So I know that one. <laughs> so, so yeah, he compares himself a lot. And one of the things I'm always reminding him about, even though he's got a 4.0, so it's really a, a moot point, is that grades are an artificial construct. Grades yeah. are not even real. It's like a completely made up system that's arbitrary yep. and it's different from country. There's countries where there's grades don't even exist. Like yeah. it's not real, honey. <laughs> like, you know, Absolutely. And so to base your entire <laughs> emotional um, life and your self-worth around a grade um, is one of those things to think really carefully about. Do you really want to? measure yourself up against that, measure your worth up against that. So I love that you bring up some of these, you know, this idea of artificial constructs, because we tend to measure ourselves by many artificial constructs. One of those is money for adults. Like you're not successful unless you have X amount of money. You're not successful unless you have X amount of achievements, which a lot of achievements are also completely made up, right? Yep. Like you have this paper on the wall. It's a diploma, but it's a made up thing, right? So that's that's one of those things that's hard for a lot of people to understand because they are so ingrained and embedded into our culture and how we feel about ourselves. So right. let's talk a little bit about symptoms because, you know, I'm a physician, so I tend to see a lot of things like that. Uh, you're seeing a lot of emotional symptoms. So what are some typical physical and emotional symptoms that can arise from these deep-seated fears? So some of the most common ones that I see emotionally are anxieties and depressions. You know, these are, are huge. And, and so anxiety and depression, they're kind of the same thing. You know, I kind of describe it like this. Um, you know, you got hot and you have cold, right? And they're just different ends of the same spectrum. Okay, anxiety and depression, they're, the, they're kind of the same thing in the same way. So anxieties, they come from those future fears, that negative future. Oh, you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if they do this? Or what if they don't do this? Right. And then it produces these anxieties. But then you have the depressions. Oh, what if I did it wrong? You know, what if I'm on the wrong path? Oh, I messed up. So then we have these, you know, guilts and shames and, and resentments and things like that. And all of those are birthed from fears, every one of them. And now for a very important message. Hey, Mama, 
If you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. And then you have certain types of people that tend to take things on physically. Right. So then you start seeing those physical symptoms, right? Like stress, for example. We know stress is probably the number one killer in the world, but it, it, it shows itself in many different ways. It can show itself in a heart attack. It can show itself in a stroke. It can show itself in cancer. It can show itself in many different ways because that non-physical, and I think that's important. I think you, you really get this as well. There is a non-physical component that we must take into consideration. Right. Stress is not a physical thing, but it has a physical impact. And so what we hold in that mental state and in that emotional state, that's going to impact the body for a lot of people. Sickness, disease, those imbalances, the disharmony, you know, and those energies in the body. And so we can see all kinds of physical symptoms come from that as well. And a lot of it stems, not all of it, but a lot of it stems, uh, at least from what I've seen, from those emotional and mental disturbances. Oh, absolutely. The mind is so powerful and everything is connected. So when we have these thoughts that lead to these feelings, it's actually causing a chemical change in our body. And over time, when we have that, it can lead to a lot of physical manifestations. So things like chronic fatigue, which is so common in our country. I mean, people are like, I have no clue why I'm just so tired all the time, like just unusually devastatingly tired. You know, that's a big one. Insomnia, joint pains, you know, some of these vague autoimmune sort of things where people can't figure out what's wrong with them. I think that those can all be manifestations of some of these emotional, chronic emotional states. So, And so. I think there's a lot of value in really paying attention in life. Yes. I mean, most yes. people they're they're oblivious to what's right in front of them right and so if we can start to pay attention we can start to clear some of these things up 
Absolutely. And I think it's because a lot of people have never been told or have never learned that we're all connected, that it, yeah. it all affects, you know, each other. So, so that it's important to pay attention to those emotional states and do what we can to learn to manage, not necessarily erase or eliminate, but to manage. So let's get to that. The next question I have is how do we get to the root cause of the fears that are holding us back? What kind of tools and techniques do we have available for that? So the first thing we have to do is learn, you know, and I think I always think about knowledge. Knowledge is power. Knowledge about the self becomes self-empowerment. And so most people haven't been taught how to think. Most people are taught what to think, right? Like, like we talked about school, right? School doesn't, I mean, you go to school and there's one right answer. Have you ever seen one right answer in life? You know, it doesn't exist. So we're taught what to think. This is how you think. This is how you do things. Da, 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 da. So we're not taught how to actually introspect. I think there's so much power in the introspection, which is nothing more than ob observing and, and starting to break down those mental and emotional processes going on within us. And this is something that we must step into from a learning standpoint. We must learn how to do this. We must learn how to think, right? And thinking is an art. Uh, you know, so imagine you're driving down the road and a thought pops into your mind. I think about it as like a bubble from, you know, coming from the back seat and, and, and it caught my eye and now I'm looking at it and I grab this bubble. Okay. And this is a thought that just came to my mind. Well, this isn't thinking. We, we tend to believe that this is thinking. This is what thinking looks like, but that's more or less, you know, processing a thought. Thinking is something that you sit down to do with an intention. Like you, you're looking for a specific outcome and, to most effectively think, you know, it's really easy for a lot of people to give good advice to other people, right? It's easy to help other people. And the reason is because we can see their situation or what they're going through from an objective viewpoint, right? So we're not attached. We don't have stories of how this is impacting us and what this means for us or what it could mean or what might happen. We don't have any of that. So we're really effective in being able to, to sit with them and look at their situation, dissect it, and give them really good advice. So I think one of the first things we have to do is learn how to do that for ourselves, which means we have to learn to think objectively, which is, you know, a big deal with, you know, how I teach my clients is how to think effectively, because how you think and the quality of your thinking is going to decide the quality of your life, because you're making choices from those thoughts. And so with you, you know, you talk a lot about, you know, eating plant-based diet and being healthy and changing habits. You know, there's a, there's a lot of power in starting to learn how to think when you do something like that, because the choices that you're making, they're coming from your thoughts, you know, but a lot of times people uh, allow their emotions to guide them in life. And this, I think is a, a big no, no, this is, this is, this is detrimental. I can make a blanket statement saying that your, your worst decisions you ever made in life, and this bar none for anyone, the worst decisions you ever made in your life were most likely emotionally impulsive or emotionally driven decisions, right? And so starting to understand what emotions are, which are a reflection of thought. It's like when you think of a happy thought, you feel happy. When you think of a sad thought, you feel sad. Well, 
your emotions are your body's response to your thoughts. They bring an awareness so that if your thoughts are not in line with where you want them to be, then you can change them. But you have to have awareness because, you know, the awareness gives you the choice, at least the deliberate conscious choice, right? And so you have to learn how to introspect and to sit with your thoughts, to think about your thoughts, right? I mean, I don't think we give enough credit there. We have to learn how to think about our thoughts or about our thinking and learn how to dissect it. And one of the most powerful ways we can do this is writing it out. Writing it out, because when you write it out, first you get it out, you're no longer looking at it necessarily through that subjective lens of emotion. You write it out and then maybe work on developing a filter to process your thinking through so that you can see it. So you can detach from that personalized story that you're telling yourself in your head about this thing or this situation or event and be able to look at it from that objective viewpoint like you would with a friend or someone else, and then you can make much more effective decisions in your life. And so that's how you can break down the fears and really any struggles, you know, or people trying to change their habits. They're trying to get off the sugar. They're trying to get off this, which I've worked a lot with weight loss. And so what you'll see is a lot of times people are doing things they don't even want to do. They're eating foods they don't even want. I mean, think about that. We're literally living our lives in a way that we don't, and we complain about it, and it's all because we don't know how to change it, you know? So I think there's a lot of a lot of power and a lot of value in learning how to think more effectively. Ugh, that's so powerful, and I agree 100% about that. You said that you have to take a step back and process these thoughts. Do we need to make sure that we have time and space to do this? Because we're all living in this fast-paced world where it's just so much easier to have a knee-jerk reaction and then move on. Do you feel like we're mm -hmm. almost too busy? We don't, we don't give enough attention to some of these really important skills? Absolutely. I think these are the skills that decide the direction of your life. Right. I mean, to to say, oh, I don't have time to take care of myself. Well, that doesn't make any sense because every single thing that you're doing in your life is designed, at least from your perspective, to take care of you. Even if you're taking care of someone else, you're doing it for what it's going to bring to your own life or your own experience. So you're already doing everything for yourself, whether you're under the illusion that you're not or not. You know, everything is for the self. And if you really want to have a good life and you really want to change your habits and you really want to to live a fulfilling life, you have to sit down with yourself. You know, you have to learn how to, you've got to learn you first and foremost. When you know yourself, then you can actually change yourself because you've, you've dissected yourself. You know, and we want to be able to do this from a curious state of mind. We want to be able to step in to, you know, our thought patterns and our belief systems, break them down and then make decisions. How do I want my life? If, you know, if I'm doing this pattern, you know, what belief system would be driving this pattern? And, and if that's not serving me the way that I want, what belief system would I need to have in order to drive a new pattern? And I think that's really important as well to know that, you know, when we're just changing habits, we're changing results. We're changing the expression of belief systems and associations. And it's great to work on the habits, but let us not forget what's driving the habit, because if you really want to create solid change in your life, you have to change what's creating 
these recurring situations, these patterns, and these propelling these habits and things that you don't like. So I think it's very important if you want a good life, you know, if you really want a good life that you're able to deliberately step in and, and direct, then you have to sit down with yourself. I, I don't think there's any other way to do it. Otherwise, we're relying on our situations and circumstances or events or other people to dictate or for them to change so it dictates to us a better life. And if you're waiting on your external factors, you're going to be waiting the rest of your life because nobody else is living for you. <laughs> you know, none of us are important enough for somebody else to give their life for us. Yeah. You know what that's I mean? That's interesting. Yeah, for sure. And that's an interesting thought. Like when I was little, I just assumed that as you got older, you just naturally became more wise. Like it just was something that just like part of development, right? Which I think to some extent, there is some truth to that. But then as I got older and more, you know, uh, my eyes were more open to the world, I realized that there's a lot of older people in their 70s, 80s and 90s that are still really miserable, unhappy people with a lot of resentment and, you know, just don't feel good. And then I realized, oh, crap. This is not something that just automatically happens. Like you have to be deliberate about this. You actually have yep. to learn how to do this stuff. Yep. So I think it really is important. It doesn't just, I also thought when I was a kid that women just automatically became pregnant. Like it was just something that happened at some point in time yeah. and you're like, I'm <laughs> pregnant. Like it just happened, you know, like, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think that that was both sobering, like, dang, that sucks. You actually have to put work into it. But at the same time, it's empowering, right? Because that means that you can learn the skills and tools to manage your thoughts and feelings to get you to where you want to be. And it's in your hands at that point in time, too. Yes. I mean, that's, that's the big thing about doing the work. It, it makes you responsible. Look, it's like if anything in your life, and let us not mistake it, Everywhere beyond childhood, once you're once you're at that place where you're making decisions for yourself in life and can do that, then if you don't take a hundred percent responsibility for that, then you become a victim. When it's when it's anybody's fault for where you're at other than yourself, then you become a victim to that situation or that person or what have you. But when you turn and look and you say, Okay, yeah, I didn't choose to be anxious or I didn't choose to be in this uh, position deliberately, but it is a result of my choices. I can trace this back to choices that I've made that have you know, led me here, led me there, that have unfolded this way. I didn't get to choose how they unfolded, but I did make those choices that eventually landed me here. And until we can take full responsibility of that, we're just going to repeat these cycles and we're going to be fighting our entire life. And you really don't have to do that. But if you're not, if you don't want to fight those battles the rest of your life, then you have to fight some other battles, right? And a lot of people have the idea that it's easier. For example, with weight loss, I had this one lady, uh, for example, she, she said, you know, I didn't, I didn't work out this week. I didn't eat healthy. I just, you know, it was just easier to sit on the couch and read. And I said, okay, well, how do you feel now? She's like, I wish I'd have got up and did something. I'm like, see, it's not actually easier to live a life that you, you're not really happy with. It's easier to do the work to change your life than it is to live a life you're unhappy with. That doesn't mean you're not going to work hard, and it doesn't mean that it's not going to become intense at times. But when you look at the bigger picture, it's much easier to change your life and to do something about the problems that you have than not. Because if you don't, 
then your life becomes flooded with these things. And like you said, you know, I grew up with that understanding as well, that time heals all, right? No, it doesn't. Time doesn't heal a single thing. Now, in time, you may become distracted from the problem, but that doesn't mean that it's gone away. Like, when you sit there for a moment and there's no distractions, guess what's waiting for you? All those problems, all those undealt with conflicts and, and traumas and difficulties, they're all there. They're not going to work themselves out. And that's why you see so many older people, they're not wiser. They may be wiser for their experience, but you know, there's many that are certainly not wise in life uh, because they've become bitter rather than better. Yeah. So yeah. it's not time's job to heal us. It's our job to do that work. We've been endowed with the power to do that. So it's our job and it's our responsibility to do that work. I love that. Okay, well, let's get into some of these other techniques that you use with your clients. What is NLP? What does that stand for and what can it be used for? NLP, I love NLP. It stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. It came out back in the 70s. I think uh, of NLP as kind of like an open platform for psychology. So you have traditional counseling, traditional therapy, which rely heavily on, you know, these uh, Sigmund Freud and Eric Erickson and Maslow, you know, the, the, the founding fathers and the people that have been most influential in understanding human behavior. But what NLP does, which neuro-linguistic program, so we're talking about the brain, we're talking about the language, and changing the language, changing the map of the mind, if you will, how we dialogue with ourselves, how we associate with our world, basically our understanding, what they call the, the map or, or territory of the mind. So going in and changing that, that's really what NLP, so it's, a, it, it's an expression of psychology. But the cool thing about it is it's not limited to certain theories. It's kind of like saying, okay, you can take anything that could be psychological in nature and you can pull that in and create structures and concepts to help people with that. And so I'm kind of an innovator and I like that idea that I can take and pull from, you know, if, if Freud does have something like the pain versus pleasure principle, that is a phenomenal theory uh, and I believe in it. But there's a lot of other things that I don't believe in that he has said, at least not the way he said. I mean, we've come a long way since the beginning of the field of psychology, which really isn't that old. I think it's what, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s are really when these things started evolving. We got a long ways to go. We're really not that deep into this. And so being able to pull from any uh, practice or any modality and create concepts and constructs, that's really what NLP allows us to do. And some of the more prominent names is like uh, Tony Robbins uses a lot of NLP anchoring, using the physiology of the body to store certain emotional states that you can then retrieve by touching them and things like that. So there's a lot of cool things like that. Uh, there's the swish pattern where you you kind of visualize this person, you know, the the person that you've been and with all the bad habits, and then you start to you know swish it, you know, swish these two back and forth with the one that you want to be, and then put that picture in your your mind, reframe your identity, things like that. So that's really kind of how NLP works, or at least how I utilize NLP with with how I practice. So when you're using some of these techniques, are you accessing the subconscious mind you're trying to use the subconscious mind to work in your favor instead of against you 
Absolutely. And that's that's the whole thing. We want to, you know, create that congruence, right? Because, you know, we're fighting ourselves, right? We're, we're walking around and, you know, everybody, we all have this internal battle and we're always fighting this internal battle about what we want and what we're actually doing, right? And so NLP kind of marries those two together so that we can have congruence so that we can overcome those struggles and those challenges so that we can then start producing a different life. Yeah, it can be so powerful. It well, is, let's talk it is. about hypnotherapy because I feel like, you know, that's one of those things like hypnosis. I remember being in college and having the the performers come and do it on stage and people act like monkeys and stuff like that. So (laughs) I think a lot of people see it as like, all right, this is some weird hokey thing. You're going to make me, you know, flap my, my arms like a bird or something. What is, is hypnotherapy actually, and how can it be used to help people overcome these fears? So what you're actually describing is hypnosis, right? Uh, and and look, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't believe in that. And, you know, you see people doing these goofy things on stage. But I'm here to tell you that is very real, okay? There is a smaller percentage of the population we call somnambulists. And these are the people that are very, very highly suggestible. And those are the people you see on the stage, right? And they, they, right, they, they joined that, right? They weren't picked out of there, said, okay, you come up, uh, unless they wanted to come up. So the people on the stage, they got up there on their own free will. uh, And it's kind of like playing. I don't do that type of hypnosis. Now I've done that over at the family gatherings. My wife's family has a lot of kids and I would do it with the kids over there. And they absolutely loved it. We had such a good time. A lot of great memories and a lot of great laughs. But they loved it. They'd always come up to me, Uncle Mike, can you can you hypnotize us? Can you hypnotize us? I'm like, all right, all right. So we'd have little shows just for fun. So what I do is hypnotherapy. So this is hypnosis mixed with some therapeutic modality, right? It's a very, very different approach. It's a clinical approach. So my goal, instead of entertaining someone, is to help someone change those patterns. And we know that patterns, habits, things like that, those are all in the subconscious mind. And we don't have direct access to the subconscious mind with the sub- with the conscious mind, or else none of us would need any help because we could say, oh, I just don't want to do that anymore, and boom, it would be done. But that's just not reality, right? Hypnotherapy is a process of lowering the brain into lower brainwave states, right? And this is a very natural process, right? So we have four primary basic brainwaves. We have the beta brainwave. So we're in this throughout our day, just, you know, roaming around throughout our life in that beta. We're alert, we're aware, that sort of thing. But then when we start to concentrate, so imagine reading a book or getting on the computer or watching a movie, your brainwaves will slow down. And the purpose of this is it allows your brain to absorb more information. So it opens it up, all right? So we go from that beta and we move down into the alpha brainwave state. That's what we call the lightest stage of trance or hypnosis. Now, just in that stage alone, we're up to 200 times more suggestible, right? And that's really all we have to get someone into in order to perform a hypnosis session with them successfully. But... As we continue to deepen that relaxation, which that's really all it is, is relaxing someone, we can get them into the theta brainwave state. Now, this is where we can go and access long-lost memories. It's what we call the gateway. 
right? Uh, so in your waking state, you'll go into theta as well. It's kind of like if you're in the middle of your day and you kind of drift off into some kind of a daydream, you come back like, whoa, where'd I go? Well, you went into the theta brainwave state. And it's also where you dream at night, right? And then we have just below that, we have the lowest and slowest brainwave, which is the delta. Now the delta is, is associated with like a deep dreamless sleep, all right? Now, the cool thing about the delta is it, it gives us access to a higher state of healing, right? So your body can heal three to seven times faster in that delta brainwave state. And a lot of times you'll see at the hospitals, they'll induce people into comas. And what it does is it brings their brainwave down to the delta and allows them to go into that natural healing state to assist the doctors in, in trying to heal them. So these are very natural things that we go in and out of. With hypnosis, what we're doing is we're just delivering you uh, a story to relax you, like a really boring story to kind of put you to sleep, right? And when you go in those lower brainwave states, that's when we deliver what we call the script, or it's kind of short per, for prescription. This is the new stories, the new ideas that we want to, to go in there to become part of your belief system, part of your fundamental platform that you live your life on. So we, we hit things like the identity and those expressions of how that identity is, uh, you know, playing itself out in your life. And we provide the new platform. It's kind of like reprogramming a computer. But the thing is, it doesn't accept it right then. You know, it takes reinforcement. A lot of people have an idea that hypnosis is like a magic pill, and it's not. There is no magic pill out there. It doesn't matter what you use or, or what you go through. You, it takes work. I'll give you an example. I had this guy, he's about 46 years old, and he went to the gym avidly. I mean, this guy was, he was stocky. He was a big guy. And he came to me one time. He said, Mike, I thought I was going to be able to come in here and you were going to hypnotize me and boom, my life was going to be different. I said, well, I said, think about it like this. Imagine taking steroids, but never going to the gym. Like you might see some changes in your body, but you're not going to see that much. Even though steroids are very strong, you've still got to go into that gym and you've still got to do the work. Because if you don't, you're not going to really get the effect you're looking for out of those steroids, right? Hypnosis is kind of like steroids, right? But you can't, you, you, you have to do the work. You have to do the work. It will not do it for you. And there's no power in relying on a, a hypnosis recording to do the work for you. There's a process of, of evolving and becoming stronger, becoming better, becoming more empowered that you go through when you do the work consciously as well. So that's, in a nutshell, kind of how hypnosis works. So give me examples of what the work would be then. So if somebody's coming to you and they're, they want to use hypnotherapy to make some healthy changes in their life. I, I like the example of, you know, that one person and they're just like stuck in the fast food drive through and all the processed foods. And they're like, I feel awful. I want to change, but I can't. I just feel called to have all these foods. So you're using hypnotherapy with them. But what is the part that they need to do on their side? What's the what's the gym part for them? So, you know, we would take the hypnosis, then we could, we could approach that many different ways. You know, first and foremost, their belief, oh, I can't do this. Okay, well, consciously, we got to stop saying this to ourselves, right? Because if you believe you can't, you're right. You won't be able to, right? Your, your mind and your body, they do what they're told. So if you're telling them, I can't, well, then you're not going to be able to. So we have to work to develop a more effective mindset. We have to talk to ourselves in ways that support ourselves. You know, so many people... They say, oh, I'm my own worst critic. 
Well, yeah, okay, we got to change that. You need to become your own best coach. What do you mean? I mean, why would you go through life putting yourself down? Okay, so you're struggling with changing a habit. Okay, well, you know, I think it's it's really important that people understand that when you when you step into change, when you're looking to change your life, it's not a thing you do. Like when you help someone to to get on a plant-based diet, it's not a, a thing you do. It's a process that you go through. You have to, everything in this world follows the law of process. There's nothing above it. And so teaching a person how to go through that process, cultivating the patience that it takes to go through that process, the perseverance, you know, being honest, you know, hey, let's look at why we're here. Let's enhance your thinking, help develop your thinking skills, you know, so that when you're thinking, okay, I'm hungry, you know, your first initial thought is, well, let me go hit the McDonald's drive through Okay, first and foremost, you don't even want to do that, right? You're just used to doing that. So you're impulsively acting. So let's let's talk about what it looks like to sit and think about that. Let's break that down. You know, if I go and grab a burger from McDonald's, what experience am I going to be having? What am I going to get from that? All right? Because that choice that you make to go into eat at that McDonald's or wherever it is that you're going, that's an investment into your life. Right? And so we must make better investments. And what is the return on that investment? It's the experience you're going to have. Okay, well, now I feel guilty. Now I've gained weight. Now I'm off track with my program. Now I feel like a slob. Now I'm abusing myself. Okay, well, this is what going through that drive through got you. Is this the experience you want to create in your life? And so the purpose isn't necessarily to create a negative association, but to recognize that it's already a, having a negative impact. And what choice can we replace it with that will help us achieve what we're actually after? Because nobody's trying to change their habits to feel worse or to feel the same. We're always seeking something better, right? There's that pain versus pleasure. So, you know, helping them formulate an understanding of choices that they can make that will support the changes. Because look, I can tell you all day long, I can hypnotize you all day long and say, you believe in yourself, you believe in yourself, you believe in yourself. But at the end of the day, you have choice. You have free will. And so if you're going to continue to tell yourself, I don't believe in this, I can't do this, I can't do this, well, then everything that I'm trying to do is pointless because you're the only one with the power here. And so we must develop that thinking, but also an understanding of the process, what it looks like, what does change look like? Like, what does this really entail? You know, most people don't step onto a process thinking, oh, okay, here in a few weeks, I'm probably going to face some battles, you know, some, oh, I don't really feel like it, or, you know, oh, I can't do that, or, oh, I didn't prep, so, you know what, I fell off the wagon, so I might as well stay off the wagon. So helping a person understand that process of what change actually looks like, uh, and most people are not familiar with it, even though they go through it, they're oblivious to it, right, because they haven't studied themselves or their processes or their battles. And so helping a person prep and prepare for that so that they can overcome them is a big part of that conscious work. Yeah, definitely. So understanding that change is not linear, that there's going to be ups and downs, but also marrying that to some practical steps. Hey, yeah. you're going to have to prep some food. You're going to have to have food available that's health promoting for you. It's not just going to magically pop up out of nowhere because that's one of Absolutely. the reasons you've probably been going through the drive through because it's convenient and humans want convenience. So how can you make it more convenient 
to eat the health promoting foods. Let's work on that and practice that and do trial and error on that while we work on some of the subconscious techniques as well. I love that. Yeah. Let's talk about empowerment. What does empowerment mean and how can people become self-empowered? We'll go back to the definition on this as well. You know, empowerment by definition is the process of becoming uh, stronger and more confident, especially in controlling one's life and claiming one's rights. So when I think of empowerment, I really think about, you know, a person in touch with those core qualities and characteristics that can drive them through pretty much anything they go through in life. Hey, are you kind of curious about microgreens and including microgreens in your diet, but you're not sure where to start and you're not sure how to do it? I love my Hamama microgreen grower. It's so easy, it's so convenient. So this is how it works. Basically, they send you the kit and it has this little seed quilt, okay? And then you soak the seed quilt in the water and in a few days, you see your tiny little baby sprouts growing and a few days after that, you can start eating them and it's so fun. And you can tell them that you're eating them and they're really happy that you're eating them and your body's really happy that you're eating them. But here's the best part because I've told y'all before, I'm lazy. So I don't wanna have to use any mental energy that I don't need to. And they send you seed quilts every month. So you don't run out, you can change what seed quilts you want to try. So here's some examples of some of the seed quilts they have. Hearty broccoli, refreshing cabbage, energizing kale, spicy daikon radish, super salad mix. You can even get wheatgrass, you can get culinary cilantro, or even hot wasabi mustard. So there's lots to choose from. They have different flavors. They're so cute and they're health promoting. So you can get a good dose of antioxidants and it's really beautiful. I also use them for garnish when I'm making soups and salads and different bowls. You can impress your guests. But like I said, it's going to be low energy cost on your part. And it's actually not that expensive either. The other thing that I use from Hamama is a green onion growing kit, which is really cool because it can decrease your food waste. So you buy the green onions and then the little part that has the root, the white part at the bottom, you stick it in these little holes and then you just put the water in there and it grows. And then you can keep eating the same green onions. You just go with your little scissors and you chop it off and you put it into your food. So if you want to give it a try, you've been curious about microgreens and different ways that you can grow your own food, check out Hamama. You can find it in my show notes for a link to get 15% off, or you can go to dryami.com forward slash shop so that you can find the link and get 15% off your first order. Happy growing. Do you love Veggie Doctor Radio, but you're sick of listening to ads? Join the Plantscription. The Plantscription is a monthly membership where you have access to ad-free episodes of Veggie Doctor Radio every week. But that's not all. You also have access to a monthly live Q&A with me and a monthly live book club. You also get access to writings and musings and free giveaways. It is such a great deal. Right now, it's only $5 a month to join the Planscription. If you wanna join, go to planscription.substack.com or go to the show notes to follow the link. Join the Planscription today and join me in this plantastic community. And to, to become empowered, you know, knowledge leads to power, right? If you don't know, you're gonna have trouble growing. 
right? And the more you know, the more you can grow. You know, there is the idea that, you know, ignorance is bliss, but knowledge is power, right? And knowledge about the self becomes self-empowerment. So the first and foremost, you, the key to, to becoming empowered is knowledge. You have to learn. You have to learn about yourself. Why are you going through what you're going through and how can you change that? So empowerment is really a process of getting to know yourself and then taking deliberate control through your choice of who you're going to be and how you're going to express yourself in this world. I mean, to me, it's just as simple as that. Not easy. There's a big difference between something that's easy and simple. Most things are simple, but that doesn't make them easy. You know, so it really starts with learning about yourself and understanding what change looks like and how can I most effectively make those changes in my life? And that will lead you to a life of empowerment. Yes, absolutely. It's such a gift, right? It's such a gift to have self-empowerment because when you come up to those obstacles, you know you're going to have the ability to manage your way through it. Yeah. Like, you you know, you have that. And if not, you're going to be resourceful. You're going to look for the tools. You're going to search yeah. for more skills so that you can manage your way through that. It's so powerful. I wanted to ask you real quick about your thoughts on meditation, because a lot of the things that you're, you're talking about, like the journaling, but also some of these different brain waves and the states of your brain, um, I feel like we can access that through meditation. Can meditation be one of the tools that people can use to help them on this journey as well? I am in love with meditation. I, I absolutely love meditation. I meditate every single morning without fail. It's, it's, it's what starts my day. Uh, and there's so many different ways to meditate. I typically do it for about 35 to 45 minutes. I get really involved. And I think a lot of people are discouraged from meditating because, you know, a lot of people are sitting there and the idea that they have is that meditation is a clearing of your mind. I've never had real success with completely clearing my mind. I mean, the brain thinks to think that you're not going to think a thought well, that's almost unrealistic. Now, there are some people I imagine who have mastered this. I'm certainly not one of them. My meditations are so very active. I don't sit in meditation for nothing to happen. I, I show up, I, I'm waiting for a show. And it's a very, very active process, but it's, it's a process for me of getting to know myself and communing, if you will, with what I believe is God or my creator or my higher self, however you want to, you know, present that to yourself, it doesn't matter. But it's a matter of getting to know yourself. You know, sitting with your thoughts is fine, but you can direct your thoughts in certain ways that make it very, very beneficial. But there's a lot of benefits that come from meditation. It's one of the, the keystones of my entire life. I love meditation. I look forward to my meditations. Absolutely. I agree with that as well. And I think too, there's been times in my life where I've I've wanted meditation to do a specific thing or want to force it to be a certain thing. And that's when it becomes hard. But now when I just come to meditation and I'm like, all right, we'll see what I get this time. We'll see what comes. Some days, literally, my mind will not stop making a to-do list. So I'm like, all right, let's try to get back to the breath. Like two seconds later, it's like, okay, I got to get back yeah. to the breath. You know, it's like some days it's like, all right, well, that's what we got in this session today, but that's okay. You know, not to come with it with some sort of expectation. I do feel like for me, it has been life-changing for sure. So thank you. What do you wish more people knew? Oh, what do I wish more people knew? I wish more people understood the process. 
that anytime they step into things, and I hit on this just a moment ago, anytime they step into changing their life, because that's what we're here doing, you know, you're doing it, I'm doing it. There's a lot of us doing it, trying to help people. And I think the biggest thing and, and what held me back for so many years is this this false expectation, this idea that I could just step into something and boom, it was going to change. You know, I, I heard this um, this theory about manifestation. It was a three-part uh, or three-stage. So you have the first stage is the birth of that desire. So now we're like, oh, I want this or I want to do this. I want to try this. Okay, so you have the birth of the desires at stage one. Well, then you've got stage two that's going to come. And this is where this system of life is going to throw anything and everything uh, at you to try to either, uh, you know, distract you or get you to change your mind, right? All the things that can happen wrong will happen wrong, right? And we see this when we're going for a new desire, especially one that's a burning desire, something big, all right? Because we, we chase big dreams, some of us. And, and there's some big things that are going to come in to try to, you know, take us off course. And so if we can make it through that stage two, which means all those emotions, all those thoughts, all those breakdowns and buildups, and you know, it's it's like, you know, it's up and down. It, it gets crazy, right? Uh, but if we can make it through that, we can hit that stage three, and that's our, our manifestation. But in stage two, it's such an important part of the journey, which is the journey. You know, it's never about the result. But that stage two, that's where we find our growth. All right, and I often say that, if you want something different in life, if you're looking for different results, the key is you have to become someone different. You can't just change one little thing. You know, you have to become that version. And it's 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 very simple to figure this out. It's not easy to make it happen because you got to step into that process of growth. But when you want something to change in your life or say you want a whole new lifestyle in a certain area of your life, well, that's going to affect all areas of your life, okay? Because all everything's coming from you. It's all coming from the core. So when you're changing something significant in your life, you're changing the core, right? And so working from the inside out is a very, very effective approach. And so an easier way to do this, uh, you know, to to kind of create this this path and this movement forward is to imagine yourself living the life that you want. You're doing exactly what you want. So say it's, you know, somebody decided to to go plant-based and that's it. Well, that's a big shift, right? I mean, that, that that's not an easy thing. It's not a, a simple choice that you make. It is a lot involved in that, right? Your energy levels, the way you think, the way you feel, the way you act, all that stuff's going to change because now you're pulling in a different source of energy into your body and that's going to affect how you perform. And so... If you could imagine yourself living that life, you're producing those results, you're making those choices, you're doing everything you need to do, and then kind of zoom out a little bit and look at yourself, that version of you who's living that life. And that version of you living that life is not the version you currently are. And so your job isn't just to start making different choices in your food and your intake, but to work on developing the character that lives that life. Because when you become that person, you will naturally produce those results because that's the version of you that does. So you start looking for these qualities and characteristics, these points of growth, discipline, persistence, patience, confidence, whatever it is that that person has that you don't or whatever the degree of the gap between what you 
uh, have and that person has, you need to work on developing that, and that will assist you in living that lifestyle, not just producing that result and then losing that result because you didn't change who you were. You have to become, I mean, we don't get in life what we want, we get in life what we are. You must become that version of yourself to produce those results on a consistent basis. That is so powerful for sure. I'm thinking about something that's a little bit less emotional because I feel like food and some of those things can become so emotional for people. But one of my dreams is to learn how to handstand. So I started this last year with my uh, strength and conditioning coach and I hit a wall because I was so afraid to fall. And I was so afraid to hurt myself. And I'm one of those people that I'm just, I have a big fear of physical injury. And I think part of it's from being a doctor because I know what can happen. So, mm -hmm. so I just hit a wall and I stopped practicing and I'm like, okay, I really want to get this. So I'm going to recommit. And, you know, I could just see him be like, it's just like falling out of a cartwheel. It's just like falling. And I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's like, all right, all right <laughs> I'm going to just practice. I'm going to practice on the grass and and it clicked, it clicked for me. This very weekend, it clicked for me where I could get up and then I could fall out of it and I feel confident that I'm gonna fall safely and it's gonna be fine. And I started giggling and playing and I couldn't stop practicing. I was like practicing for over an hour at a time and now every day when it's time to practice, I'm so excited to go practice. And that's when I remembered that it's the process, it's the journey that's so important. But you're right, Absolutely. now in my mind, I'm confident that I'm going to get that handstand now. Like I have no doubt that I'm going to get it by the end of the year, probably sooner. And I am trying to deliberately enjoy the process of learning. Like it's, it's fun being in this stage where, yeah, you don't, you can't do it yet, but look at me fall all over the place. Look how ridiculous yeah. this is. And every day I'm getting a little <laughs> bit better. But I think if we can change our mindset to that of like, it's not just going to be this like miserable, horrible experience. And then I'm going to get it. And my life is going to be better. It's yeah. like every day we're learning new things. Just like our little kids, when they start to walk, they giggle too. They fall down, they bonk their heads and, and you know, sometimes they cry, but sometimes they actually laugh about it. Yeah. And I think taking that mindset can help us when we're trying to make big changes in our life too. So thank you for that yeah. reminder. Well, you briefly talked a little bit about your morning meditation, but do you have a, a specific morning routine that you like to follow? Uh, I do. I, I do my, I get up, you know, I do my bathroom stuff, brush my teeth and everything. I drink a full glass of water. Uh, then I meditate. And typically after that, you know, most days a week, that's when I'll exercise. So I kind of have a home gym. And I'll exercise, you know, anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes, depending on the exercise that I'm doing. So I don't do long stretches. I used to, you know, do the hour long in the gym. No, I don't have none of that. Uh, I, I work out very, very deliberate with how I work out. So usually 15 to 30 minutes is, is about my max. Sometimes I will do journaling, especially if I'm struggling with something or have a conflict or something's going on or I woke up and my emotions aren't where I want them to be. I'll start journaling and see what comes out so that I can work on that. So that typically is my morning time routine. I, I spend, you know, two to three hours on myself. That's how I start every single day is with myself because I'm going to be with myself the rest of my life. And I need to make sure that I'm the best that I can be. So that's kind of like my primer, if you will. Yeah, it's the most important relationship, right? I was just thinking about that a few days ago. Like we have to learn how to be our own best buds. 
and, yeah. you know, be with ourselves and take care of ourselves that way. That's beautiful. Well, Mike, this has been fantastic. You've taught us so much and you're so knowledgeable and wise. So thank you so much. I'd love to know where listeners can connect with you and what products and services you offer. Okay. Well, the, the easiest way to connect with me is through Facebook, uh, through author Mike Oglesby. I've also got Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um, and they can also visit my website, uh, mikeoglesby.com. And you can access my uh, hypnotherapy and coaching website through that. Uh, but that's the primary website that I have is mikeoglesby.com. Awesome. And how many books do you have? I think I've got six that I've written. You know, A lot of them were for my clientele over the years. Uh, I published a book for anxiety and depression called Fight Back in the Cycles of Anxiety and Depression back in 2020. Um, and I've got a new book that's going to be coming out. I'm not yet releasing the name of that, uh, but I will be doing that soon uh, on Facebook uh, and some of the other channels. Um, but that'll be coming out. And that's that's really addressing the fear-based philosophy uh, and giving a, a solid structure, a framework of how to step out of that, to reframe that and to change your life so that you can go out there and do what you want to do and build a life that you fall in love with. I love that. Well, if you can leave us with your top three tips for people that are ready to overcome their fears and create a life they love. First and foremost, start with why. What is your purpose? You know, so many times we try to change something in our life, but we don't really sit down and think about why we want to change it. What are we really, really, really after? Okay, you want to lose some weight. Why? Well, I want to feel better about myself. Okay, yeah, you may not really get there because even when you lose that weight, you're not going to feel better about yourself because that's not a that's not a body problem that you have. That's an internal problem you have. So you've got to know why you're going after what you're going because the process is, is hard, right? And, and you're going to need some fuel. You're going to need some grounding. You're going to need to know why you're doing that when those times come that you don't feel like following through. So a good, strong why, a good, strong purpose can push you through those really difficult times. You know, the second thing, embrace the process. You know, we're, we're always chasing these results. But here's the funny thing about it. That person that you're trying to become, well, she, he, they already want to be a different person themselves because they aspire to be more. They aspire to be greater, to do different things. So no matter where you go, you, when you go from point A to point B, once you get to point B, you are back at point A and you're <laughs> on a whole nother journey. Right. The true point B is the end of this journey in this life. Right. So embrace the process. And, you know, if you're moving in life with purpose and you're going after the things that really, really drive you and that you're passionate about, then the process is fun. You know, it's 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 invigorating. It's exciting. And you don't want to miss it. Right. So if you're going after the, the things that really are, you know, your greatest passions, you're going to enjoy that journey more. So if you're not really enjoying the journey, you know, really go back and examine your why. And the third thing I would say is celebrate your wins. You know, you will never outgrow your self-esteem. It is the driving factor of everything in your life. It decides what you do. It decides who you what you think. It decides everything. So we always want to constantly build our self-esteem and we don't want to rely on our results to do that because your results are going to fluctuate. We live in a very fluid world. It's up, it's down. 
And so if we depend on that to decide our value, then our value is going to fluctuate like that as well. We need something more solid. So we want to celebrate our wins. Look, times are tough. Life is difficult. It doesn't matter who you are or what your level of accomplishment. Life is tough. It's difficult. It's hard being a human. But we want to embrace that and we want to celebrate all the good things we can. And it doesn't matter what it is. Oh, I, I walked past the bed and I didn't stump my toe this time. All right, go me. And I'm going to pat myself on the back because I really want to build myself up. And it's so important to build yourself up no matter what you're doing, because that's going to drive you to greater success in your life. Oh, my gosh. Those are amazing tips. Wow. What a great way to end this episode, Mike. Thank you so much for being on a show today and being a guest and for all the work that you do to help others. I appreciate you so much. And I hope that you have a very fantastic day. Thank you so very much. I appreciate it. I've enjoyed my time with you. Hey, veggie lover, I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.